And this passage that we're going to talk about a little bit this morning, we're going to kind of come from, is in Luke chapter 15. Uh, you don't know it as the, the parable of the loving father. You know it as something else. Anybody know what this passage at the second half of Luke chapter 15 was normally called? The prodigal son. That's it. Yeah, it's usually uh, the parable of the, the prodigal son. And, and so this morning, I just want to rest a little bit on the other side of that story. And uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the son, but more about the father. And uh, so I, w- I want to read just the first couple verses of it so it can kind of set, set us on track for the message today. It says, to illustrate the point further, I want to stop right there. We didn't get far, did we? <laughs> so there's something here Jesus is talking about. You have to go back to the beginning of Luke 15 to see what that is. And you find the beginning of Luke chapter 15 that, that Jesus has been teaching all over uh, all over the place, and, and, and tax collectors and sinners have been coming to hear his teachings. And the Pharisees, the religious, righteous, the, the good folks of the time, really were really upset that Jesus was allowing those people to be associated with him and travel with him, uh, and not just travel with them, but it says, and he even ate with them. <sighs> like that's when you're supposed to go, <gasps> Jesus ate with a tax collector and a sinner. And so Jesus begins to tell stories. He tells three stories in Luke 15. He tells the, sta- the, 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 the parable of the lost sheep where uh, the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one that was lost. Tells the, the parable of the lost coin. And then he tells the story of the prodigal son. So he says to illustrate the point further. So you need to know the point is that he's trying to explain to them why he associates with sinners. And he's trying to show the heart of the Father toward broken and sick people. And so that's the point that he's trying to get across. And Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. It's about 20 verses. I'm not going to read them all. I'll paraphrase it real quick. The son gets his inheritance, decides to go to Vegas. All right. To put it in today's terms, and he goes to Vegas, and he spends all his money on everything you could imagine you could spend money on in Vegas, all right? And he, he, he's completely broke. He loses everything. He has no more money. Uh, he finds himself basically feeding hogs, which for his Jewish culture was absolutely a no-no, and they weren't even allowed, they weren't allowed to eat pork, be around pork. It was unclean, and here he is feeding them, and he gets so hungry, so broken, that, that he's tempted to eat the food that he's feeding the hogs and it comes to his mind that man the servants at my father's house eat better than this they live better than this i think i'm going to go back home and maybe just be a servant i'll never be a son again but maybe i can just go back and be a servant and so he goes back home and you know this story the the father when he sees him coming runs to embrace him throws a major party, celebrates his son coming home, um, and, and, and has a huge celebration. And we, and we know, we know the, the older son who stayed there all the time and did all the good things, followed all the rules, that, that was the, the, the religious, if you will, rule follower. He gets so mad, he gets angry, right? I want to read that passage at the end, and then we'll get into the heart of the message Today, in verse 28, says, The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. 
And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Y'all got kids like this? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't want to say it. They're sitting here. Let me tell you, if you're a parent, you've had a kid that's been like this at some point in their life. This is human nature. Yet when, his son of yours, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son. I love that. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is about the loving father. We're going to look today at five things um, that makes God our heavenly father, five traits of God that makes him a good father. Um, and We're not going to contrast with with. with our human fathers, but I think you will see the contrast that is there. It's interesting in, in Hebrews um, or in in, uh, in Matthew chapter seven and verse eleven, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he says, "If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him?" And what, where I want to set this stage and where I want to start is I want I want you to understand. Every father has evil in them. Okay, even those of you that could say, my dad was absolutely the best dad. He did everything right. He didn't. <laughs> like, he was not perfect. He was a broken man. Here Jesus says, even these disciples who are following Jesus, says, even you who are evil, even those that are following Christ and trying to be good, and we try to do good for our kids, if you think that's good, you can't even imagine. So what I want to say is, some of you might say, I've had the worst dad, and between that and what some of us might say, I had the best dad, the distance about right here, between the best dad and your heavenly dad, it's immeasurable. See, this heavenly father, he doesn't have the sins of your dad, he doesn't have the limitations of your dad, he doesn't have the weaknesses of your dad, he doesn't have the temptations of your dad. He is perfect and is righteous and he loves you. And so when we give our life to Christ, it says as many who believe became sons of God. We are adopted into a spiritual family and our heavenly, and God becomes our heavenly father. He's your dad. He's my dad. Doesn't replace an earthly father, but it can What I don't want to do today is you stir up memories and say, well, was my dad good or bad? I think you just don't know how bad he was or you don't know how good he was. I don't really want you to dwell on that today. This isn't a message for dads on how to be good dads because there's a lot of you in here not dads. This is really a message that says I want you to find your value and your worth in your relationship with your heavenly father, not your earthly I pray and hope you had a good dad. If you did, you were extremely blessed. But never put him in front of your heavenly father. If he was good, he was just exhibiting as best he could the nature of God himself. Okay, so let your praises go one layer up. Say, God, thank you for creating fatherhood and showing us how to do it. 
So today we're going to talk about what are the five things uh, of, 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 of God that make him a good father. Um, as we get into this, I want, I want you to think about, uh, this, is, this is what John Piper said about it. So Jesus goes beyond the encouragement of saying, you have a father in heaven. He goes beyond that and he says, you have a perfect father who has no evil. And contrast God without evil with all fathers who are evil. Even if you had the very best father, you still have a good thing coming. Got a good thing coming in your heavenly father. The, uh, Louis Giglio's got a book called Not Forsaken. And he starts out in the first chapter. It says, Daddy, watch me. Y'all remember being kids? And when I was a kid, it was usually, um, uh, you know, I was playing basketball for some time when I was younger through elementary school. And, uh, and we had this awesome basketball court in the backyard of the holler we lived in. I'm kidding, it wasn't awesome. It was old carpet that we'd laid down, and I had to dribble on it long enough so it dribbled better than it did when it first laid. Y'all with me for a second? And I used to go out there, and Dad said, we, he laid this old carpet down. He said, that'll kill the grass, now it'll dribble. I'm like, I don't think that's how this works. He said, just keep dribbling. And so I like I out there beating the forever, and it finally did get pretty good. It's kind of like, you know, not concrete, but it worked. But I'd go out there, and I'd play forever, I'd play forever. And if Dad came around, if he was weed-eating or doing something outside, I can remember, I want to show him this shot I've worked up, this layup. I was always Michael Jordan, though, buzzer beater, right? That was the... All I was doing was like, three, two, one, like, watch this, Dad, and shoot, and sometimes I make it, sometimes I miss it. But there was something about, you know, you want your dad to see you. You want your dad to affirm something you've done good. This is what God put this, designed it in the human heart, that the dad has a very critical role to acknowledge and encourage and be present and see their kid, Okay? Y'all been there, you've been that child, you've been the parent who's heard from the other room 6,000 times. Dad, come see this. Come watch this, Dad. Watch what I can do on this. Look at this thing I built with Legos. Come see this flip I can do on the trampoline. Come see, uh, have you heard it? You didn't have to teach them that. It's their nature. They, and, and moms are great and have incredible roles, but there's something about the relationship between children and their dad and them wanting to have that affirmation, that to be seen. I want you to find that in your heavenly Father today, okay? You are not forsaken. I want to say that to everybody in here who maybe your dad has never showed up at anything. You are not forsaken. Everything you've not found in that person, you can find in Jehovah, okay? So what are the five things? What are these five character traits? One, I, I want to say his patience and kindness never run out. Guess what? Mine does. <laughs> All right? And your, your dad's did. I can guarantee at some point your dad lost his patience with you. You were trying to go fishing. You were trying to go hunting. I remember going squirrel hunting with my dad. Guess how many times I went? Once. All right? I lose my patience. I lose my patience with Harker. I don't, I'm not saying I get mad and yell, but I get, there's only so many times I can say, don't say that word in front of people. <laughs> like, and he says it again. He's four. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I give up. Just say it. Whatever. So I, we resort to lying to him and telling him good words are bad words and bad words are good words. 
I'm losing my patience. I'm trying everything. And there, there are times, even in the, the patience, I've lost my patience, then I lose my kindness, and I, I have a bad tone, and I, I say things the way I don't mean it. And, and man, I know he's a kid. I was a kid, and, and I'm frustrated about all this other stuff going on in life and work and other stuff, and then it comes out on your kids. Your heavenly Father has unending, unhesitated patience and kindness. Man, wouldn't you like to have a dad like that? That was just so patient with you. It says, as Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and in truth. Psalm 103, 17 says, From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is, is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. The Bible says that God is love, and 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient and kind. Nehemiah, talking about God, it says, You are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. His patience and kindness never run out. You've seen the meme of the, the, there's a group of sheep, and there's one sheep that always runs out, and it gets stuck in this crack in the mountain. I don't know if you've seen that. You know, the sheep's down in it, and the shepherd comes, gets it out, and it, like, literally immediately jumps back into the crack in the mountain. That's you, and that's me. Okay, and that and me, I get frustrated, and I say, you're staying there. Like, three times I got you out, this time, figure it out. <laughs> right? Like, that's our nature. God came to go as many times to get you out as he has to go. Never gets tired of it, doesn't get frustrated, because he knew that from the time you were born, you were broken, you were born into a sinful nature. He knew you could not do this. He knew you couldn't stay out of the muck and the mire. This is why he went and died for you. And so his patience and kindness never run out. Second, he's always available. Always available. Psalm 138 3 says, When I called, you answered me. Some of you, maybe your dads have passed on and, and you can't call them anymore. Maybe some of you, you call them and you've called them your whole life and they don't really answer. I don't know. Maybe some of you, they were always there. But I know even me is trying to be a, a good dad as much as I can be and be all that I can be. <clears throat> I've said a lot of times, I can't right now. I've got to go to work. Right? I got to go right now. Or I say, oh, just give me a few minutes. Give me just a few minutes. I'm into something right now. I'll be right there and we'll do it. And do we always get there to do it? Sometimes not. Sometimes we do. But we serve a heavenly Father that 24-7, 365 days a year, He's always on call. He's all-knowing. He's always present. You call. He answers. He is always available. He is always available. He doesn't have bad days or sour moods. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't, doesn't carry all the stuff from, from work and adult things that are happening in his life and, and, and pour it out on his kids. You know, this is the worst for me is when I'm asleep at night and Harker shows up in the dark. <laughs> oh, he's four, you know, like, and you wake up and he's just standing there. 
You know what I mean? It's like jump out of your skin. I'm kind of used to it now, but, um, but you know, he needs his dad all the time, and, and our Heavenly Father is always available. I can't always be available like God can for my kids, but he is always available. We have complete access to our Heavenly Father's ear, his heart, his undivided, focused attention directly on you. He's not like, I got, have you seen the world? Have you seen the news? And you're calling me about, you know, whatever's happening in your life. That's not him. He can be in all that directly at the same time, and you have that intimate, direct relationship with him. Three, third character trait, you will never have to earn his love. not performance-based. It's not, if I do good this week, he'll love me more. Or if I messed up this week, he didn't love me as much. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means Christ didn't die for you when you decide to turn your life around and you've done good for a little bit. It means like, it, 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 it's not about, and sometimes as dads and as parents, you know, I, I hear these things all the time, whether it's grades or test scores or, or on the field or on the ball court, you know, like if you mess up on the ball court and you're going to put extra time in and you start to feel this pressure of like, do I, does my, would my dad love me if I just quit sports? I don't know. Like, I think there's kids that really wonder that. And that's a sad place to be in. But that's the flesh, that's the world we live in. You see, that doesn't happen with our Heavenly Father. You see, He went and died for you when you'd been kicked off the team and got straight F's and were probably in juvie. Okay, you with me for a minute? That's the son He loves because He made you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What you've done, doesn't matter where you are in life, he just loves you because you're his son. He loves you because you're his son or daughter. Man, the feeling of having to earn your father's love with the right grades, right behavior, right things, right sports, success in life, hard work, or whatever it is, the thing that you think is going to make your dad love you so hard. It teaches this thing that, um, that Tim Keller, he paints the gospel like this. He said it's fully known and fully loved. Two things that the culture and life tell us can't go together. Right? You meet somebody new or you're getting ready to get married and, and you think, man, I know they fully love me, but not if they fully knew me. If they knew all my past, if they knew the thoughts that were in my head, if they knew my heart, if they knew who I really was, I wouldn't be fully loved. You, you follow me for a minute? And, and really, there's no more lonely place to be than to think all these people fully love you, but nobody really knows you. And to wonder, man, would they still love me? This is what the Christian community is about. 
is that we resemble this, the idea of the gospel is truth, that God fully knows you, knows your past sin, present sin, future sin, loves you anyway, died for you, gave you the opportunity to repent and turn to him. Knowing everything, you are fully known by this God and fully loved. Nobody on earth can really do that for you. But the church is supposed to embody that as best we can to one another. I know you had an affair. I know you're, you, you're divorced and remarried because of all the stuff you did. I know you struggle with pornography addiction. I know you this. I know whatever these things are. And I love you anyway. I love you. You're fully known right here. Just lay it all out. I'm not going to change. I love you. Period. Don't want to walk with you in what you're in and bring you closer in your relationship with Jesus, help you dig out of some of those things, try to overcome consequences of bad decisions? Absolutely. But I love you in the middle of it because God loves me in the middle of my known. <laughs> All right? Fourth thing. Not only do you not have to earn his love, you really can't blow it enough to lose his love. <laughs> you, know, you heard me say earlier, like, hey, you jump in that crack three times, you're stuck. <laughs> All right, you get stuck three times, you make three bad decisions in a row, like, figure it out. And some of that we have to do as parents and raise them, let them suffer consequences. As long as you suffer all those consequences for your child's bad decisions, they're never going to learn. I'm going to say that. Like you have to let them experience some consequences. But the thing with our Heavenly Father, Romans says it like this, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. I mean, he said enough, and then he just says, Nor anything else in all creation. I mean, I don't... That means the Roku remote at your house can't do it. Okay? Like this is everything in all creation, nor the nebula, however many light years away. It cannot do it. can cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can't do it. Like nothing you can do can blow it enough to lose his love. And so you, you, you may ask this question, so what if I sin while I'm a Christian? What if I make mistakes? You're going you're gonna to affect your relationship. Here's what I know in my heart. You're a truly regenerate believer. You're giving your life all in for Christ. You are a new creation fueled by the Holy Spirit. And you see, what, what happens is your desire for good works and, and to do good things is not to please God or earn His love. It's done out of gratitude that He saved you when you were yet a sinner. When, when you truly understand the grace of God, your life changes. The fruit of that change inside of you begins to come out in your life in good deeds and good works and your behavior changes, your thoughts change. All that changes, not because you're afraid but because you're grateful. Because you're grateful for what he's done for you. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. There's nothing you can do to lose it. Fifth thing, he has your very best in mind. 
Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. There's a lot of bad dads out there that use their kids for very bad things um, that, that maybe even unintentionally use their, use their kids to live out their own dreams. Or I mean, we, we see these things all around. Uh, even the best dad can do that. But your heavenly Father is always thinking about your good. And I'm not just saying your material good. I'm saying your eternal good. That's what we know. When he says, if need be, you're going to face many trials and tribulations. It's so it can grow your faith. Like So even, even hard things that come into your life that he allows have purpose for your good. We sang that earlier. I can't wait. To see when this turns to good. He's not done because it's not turned to good yet. He's going to use those hard things, those bad things, for your good. Hebrews 12.10 says, For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And we understand there's a difference between punishment and discipline. There are a lot of times as parents we just get tempted you, you did something wrong, you're going to suffer, <laughs> right? Time out, grounding, whatever. We're just going to, you, you suffer and you're going to learn to not do that because it suffers when you do it. You're going to suffer and you're going to feel the consequences. God works through discipline. So that he's not just making us punished for our, our, our past bad acts. He is disciplining us, and this is how we should dis- discipline as parents. But he is teaching us through this situation to make better decisions in the future. This is the way God works in your life, and he's working all things together for your eternal good, for your salvation. He has is, he is left the 99, and he's looking for you and me. He went out and found us, the ones that are lost. I want you to take just a, a few things as we close here, a couple Three things I want you to think about. One is I don't, I don't, I want you to let go of any grudges or bitterness for mistakes your dad made. And if you're really carrying that weight, um, you, you've looked for value and your worth in the wrong place. Okay, I, I want you to let go of any grudges, bitterness even if it was the worst of worst abuses, even if it was just absence, even if it was he's, he was good most of the time, but a few times this, whatever that is, I want you to, to just give that to God and let it go. I, I also don't want you to idolize your dad, even if he was really good. I don't want you to think, well, I got God over here and I had a really good dad. I want you to see the goodness in your dad and the source of it was from the creator of fatherhood and where parents come from and he is the example that set the best example for all fathers to live into. I really already said it, but uh, I want you to see you have intrinsic value and worth as a child of God. That's your value. Man, it's not with how good your dad was or not. It's how good he is and what you mean to him. This is our dog. His name is Louie. Does anybody want him?
you know, since we moved into town, the Harker, our four-year-old, tends to open doors really slowly when he goes in and out. And we don't have a fenced-in yard, and like he's getting out a bunch, gets out and he runs. We live right over here on Fourth Street in town, and man, it's like when he gets out. I was like, "Have you been sitting on the back of the couch, strategizing out the window where you're gonna go?" Because it's not like he walks out and he's just like, "Maybe I'll go this way." It's like, "Woo!" As far as he, he doesn't know where he's going. It's just as far, as far and away from me as he can. And I'm like, man, you got your own bed. We feed you. What, what are you running from? I don't understand where you're going, why you're going there. And, and, and so for a long time, like several times he'd get out, I'd chase him. i go immediately like, oh, my God, he's going to get run over. We're never going to see him again. Somebody's going to steal him. So I'd ch- take the leash, and I'd chase him, and Beth would get the van, and she'd drive, and we'd try to find him, and we'd finally get him. And I'd chain him, and I'd get him out. Until like a week or so ago, he got out, and I was like, earthly dad. Right now, he's done. Like, if he comes back, great. If not... Congratulations, whoever got a free dog. <laughs> now I went about five minutes, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to tell Rosie. And I was like, ten minutes? It may have went ten minutes, and I was like, oh, gosh. Where could, he could be a long way by now. <laughs> like, somebody could have got him. When, like, I'm really going to have to tell Rosie if we never see him again. Like, I was thinking about that conversation. And not that I don't love him, and I, I'm not, I love dogs, and for you all who have who are dog lovers are thinking, I'm inhumane, and how could I ever go 10 minutes and let my dog, I'm sorry, I'm just a human. <laughs> I lose my patience. I lose my kindness sometimes. And so I got the leash, and I went out, and I went searching. And I thought, I walked a couple blocks, and I was like, I don't even know which direction he went. You can go a lot of different ways from 4th Street in 10 minutes, and he doesn't slow down. Maybe for a fire hydrant, and he's right back on it. <laughs> and so I'm walking around, and I, I'm looking, and I'm about to give up. I'm like, I think I don't really know what else to do. Um, and I stopped and saw Chris that comes to church here, lives over on Fifth Street. And I talked to him about five minutes. I had the leash in my hand. And I'm, at the end of the conversation, I was like, well, I'm looking for my dog. He's like, you don't seem very, like, urgent here. <laughs> like, situation like well I've looked and looked like I really like I'm just gonna pray he comes back home really I know what to do and I walked on up fifth street and I looked in uh, up the driveway and he was standing at the end of this driveway one of our neighbor's house like close to their house and I thought oh I've been here he's gonna bolt like when we make eye contact uh, he's whatever direction I'm not and I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, I don't know where this is going to go. And, like, he's smart. Like, we, you remember playing tag around cars when you were a kid? Like, you should, and people are probably watching me chase this dog. One of our neighbors, when I walk out, they're like, where's your dog? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm looking at him. He's up the driveway, and I'm looking at him. And it's like I could almost see in his eyes he'd been in the, 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 the hog pit long enough. That he had enjoyed his freedom long enough. That he might have remembered Man, I had a bed. I had food. Air conditioning. Why'd I do this? And I said, Louie. And he ran straight to me. It's almost like I could see in his eyes, Dad. 
I don't know where you are, where you've been. I don't know how far you've ran, how lost you feel. I want you to know your Heavenly Father is looking at you. He's searching for you and he's waiting on you. All you have to do is run to him. No other performance, no questions asked. Turn from your sin. Turn to him. Surrender your life and faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what I did with Louie. I put his leash back on him. I picked him up. I love you. <laughs> Missed you, buddy. <laughs> Took him back home. If even me be an evil, an earthly father, goes finds the dog that runs, think how much more your heavenly father is coming after you. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for being a dad. Oh, man. Thank you. We love you. Teach us that those that, that are dads in this place, teach us more patience. Help us to be more available. God, let us remember that we love our kids regardless of how they perform and what they do. And if we've got a child, we've made them think that we don't love them anymore because they've done too wrong. Let us make sure they know we love them. God, let us search deep in our hearts and know that we always want, we perform, we act, and we say things that are good for them. Most importantly, as all of us as children and your children, let us just rest in this relationship with you. And the way we become better at being like you is really just to enjoy you and know who you are and how you are and how much you love us. God, I'm thankful that, that no matter what situation we come from, we have you. God, if, nobody, if somebody in here has never given their life to you, they don't understand what it means to be loved, to be fully known, and to be fully loved. God, today's the day they can just accept it. They don't have to do anything special other than say, okay, I'm in. I follow you. Put my faith in Jesus. I turn from my ways. I realize my own sin and brokenness, and I'm separated from God, and the only way I can get back is through Jesus Christ invite them to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray.